You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. It's Robin McMahon here. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. I have another really important episode for you because everybody needs to know about financial literacy. We all need to know what our money is doing for us, if we have enough money, all of those things. And I certainly am not an expert in this. So I have a wonderful guest here that you really want to listen to because she really knows her stuff. So let me tell you a little bit about my guest. So I have Cindy Kumingen here, and she's the founder of Synergy Financial. And she believes that financial literacy is a moral imperative, which is why she's devoted her professional life um, to help people understand the constantly evolving financial and economic landscape. As a certified financial planner, she has become not only a leader in the financial industry, but also an innovator of investment methodology. Her passion can be heard with her weekend broadcasts on the LA radio station KABC. Welcome, Cindy. I'm so happy to have you here. Help us. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. I love your cause. Oh, well, thank you so much. And you know what? This is so important. And I want to read some stats. Um, so there, there's some research that's been done, and it says that the U.S. ranks 14th globally in financial literacy and rates only 57% of adults as having financial literacy. That's a huge gap. Yes. And furthermore, 53% of adults are financially anxious, and four out of five youths failed a financial literacy quiz. So there is massive room for improvement here, right? Absolutely. Awareness, um, engagement, and getting people excited about learning about money. (laughs) Well, that is definitely a foreign concept, getting excited about (laughs) learning about money. Yeah, we love money, but, and we hate the lack of it, but getting excited about learning it, that's a new concept. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That is for sure. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. If we don't know about money ourselves, how do we teach it to our kids? So where do we start as parents? Well, um, I think it's just acknowledgement that, you know, this is an area that we're not experts on, we don't know about, but having a conversation with your children about money is critical from, Mm -hmm. you know, how to buy groceries, Um, getting them involved in purchases, which I really did early on with my children, Um, Mm -hmm. just getting them exposed to spending as well as the word budgeting. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And and by the way, I just want to, I want to say you, you do have a book for those of us that are not experts at all in this area called Redefining Financial Literacy. Uh, And you just, it was just published uh, in April. Is that right? Yeah, April 6th, uh, the book was released. Yep. 
Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. So Wall Street Journal bestseller. So oh, we're, we're, see, we're getting people excited about learning about money. Yes. That's incredible. Well, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. For Thank you very much. Journal bestseller. That is a real, and, and so timely too, because what we need to recognize as parents is that our kids, this generation of kids is going to live into their one hundreds. So that means their money has got to go further. That means, you know, hear me saying I'm not an expert, but what I do know is, you know, the nine to five job may not be enough to get us through, right? That maybe there's more things we have to do, or maybe we have to invest better or, you know, well, let me ask you how, how let's, let's start at the beginning. How do we first start talking to our kids about this? I think a, a, a lot of parents feel a little bit of shame because maybe they're not prepared and they're anxious about their money. Mm-hmm. because they weren't taught this. We weren't taught this in high school and elementary school. And even, you know, a lot of um, baby boomers today, parents didn't have the discretionary money to be even talking about money with them. So I think a little bit is, a, is, is feeling inadequate. And I think if you can acknowledge it wasn't your fault, mm-hmm. that you don't know about money, mm-hmm. and then engage with your children about it and start talking about it, Um, that's where you get on track of accomplishing your goals and objectives. Yeah, I really like that. Um, And I think you're right. There is shame around it. You know, if if you have debt, like, do you want your kids to know that? You know, it's like, yeah, oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, this is where mom and dad are at. Um, But that it's not your fault. I love that. Look, and, and the thing is, things have changed so much, so much that it is hard to get your head around, right? It's complex and there's lots of information and information isn't necessary, necessary knowledge. So you need to go to sources that have experience, that have credentials, that understand the money business to tell you what's real and what's not real. Mm. Can you elaborate on that? Like, yeah, because, you know, you go into on these, you know, there's a lot of people talking about money, but are they experts? Are they licensed? Do they have experience? Um, you know, you want to be able to determine the difference between fact and fiction, because in the internet today, we have access to so much information, you can pretty much get anyone to agree with you. So you got to take information and understand it's not knowledge. And that knowledge is really explained by the experts in their own given field. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's things like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And, and I say these words, I don't know what they mean. I really don't. So, you know, can you explain that to us? Yes. I mean, um, cryptocurrency just this week has been, um, voted in or not voted in or more or less declared an asset class by Goldman Sachs. So another thing you must learn about, I mean, we, most people don't know what a stock and a bond is. Now you had real estate, you had cryptocurrency and it gets complicated. So having a seasoned advisor is critical in um, attaining knowledge, getting to the point that you can ask a question, a question that makes sense to your situation and feel comfortable that somebody's going to be there to explain these things. So Bitcoin is something that's new. It's in the news and it's something that's exciting that um, you definitely want to do your research on um, because it is an asset class 
um, that is very volatile. So you got to understand what you're doing before you get into it. And the best thing is, is consult somebody who has some experience. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I love what you just said though, about, you know, not even knowing the questions to ask, you know, that's, that's the thing, right? I don't know what I don't know. So how do I know to ask that question? Right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's really where you're going to, you know, um, financial literacy, I've built platforms of videos and seminars and books and audio, different forms of learning to get people exposed, not to sit there that you got to go listen to an hour video, eight minute segments to oh. get the, a little bit, um, you know, delivered to people who don't know about money so they can start formulating questions or how does this work and how does that work and what should I know? Um, that's where it begins. It takes baby steps. I call it action steps mm. dedicated to starting to learn about money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, this podcast is uh, broadcast all over the world. Is money the same all over the world? Is money this? I know there's different currencies, but is, yep. is, is money act the same way? Well, I think my, it comes down to financial literacy. And I think places all over the world are definitely more financially literate than the United States. And that's, really? a, that's that ranks us 14% in the world in financial literacy. And there's a why are we a superpower and the people who live in this country know nothing about money? That's a question that we must ask our politicians, the private and public sector, is why are the people not prepared with knowledge on money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who, who is number one? Who's you know, I don't know those statistics offhand. I just know the United States <laughs> ranks at the bottom of the barrel and that we do need to have, um, you know, legislation that imposes, you know, we go to elementary school, we learn about math and science and English. We have finance and money. I mean, isn't that what causes half the problems at work today is money, but we don't get taught this in school. We, I don't need to learn about science as I grow older, but I do need to learn about money. I'm not saying get rid of science, I, but yeah. maybe add more to the curriculum. I got to say you're preaching to the choir because it makes me crazy when, especially with homeschooling right now because of COVID, right? We're more involved in my teenager's school and seeing exactly what they're learning. And it makes me mad when we're, we're working through, I always use this example of mitosis and meiosis, which I know for sure he will never use in the future, but please teach us about stocks and bonds. Please teach us about cryptocurrency. That is important. I just, it makes me crazy. Um, and I, I mean, no disrespect when I say it, but there are so many other things like social, emotional learning is more important than this stuff. Right. So Ah, it is frustrating, but I love that you're so passionate. I hope that there are some changes coming because you are so passionate and spreading this message. It's so important. It is. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so what makes the most sense for, for parents to, to start this conversation? Like, is it a good idea to play games like Monopoly and Payday? Is like, do those really help to normalize the conversation? 
Well, it's ironic that you bring up the game of Monopoly. I can't, I, I was born and raised in Detroit, okay? And about eight months of the year, it's cold, it's gloomy, and, it, and it's freezing back there or either too hot. So my parents in our basement with five girls, all within almost a year and a half, my father never had a son, said, okay, she's going to make her daughters into providers. We played the game of Monopoly for years. Do you know, as a financial planner, at one time in my life, I owned up to 37 homes in Houston. And I woke up one day and said it was because my mother and my dad introduced Monopoly to us kids. That is so cool. Isn't that cool? And I thought of that years ago. I'm thinking, I have to really call my mom up and say, hey, mom, thanks for introducing bingo and Monopoly and card games. Because I believe that that introduction of paper money and getting all those little red homes to build up on that Monopoly board in a competitive way has really molded me of where I'm at today as Mm -hmm. an advisor. Yeah, I can see that. That's really neat. I, I, that's, that's great. And, and, and that's a really great note for parents listening. Like, Hey, that, that's, you know, that's something significant that you can do with your kids. The great thing is there's so many versions of Monopoly. Now you can have them for your own city, you know, with recognizable, you know, streets and stuff like that. Um, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So, you know, my parents really didn't have access to money. And I'm going to be very frank with you as a baby boomer. Um, my parents didn't, they were lucky. They had food on the table and the rent paid. Okay. So there wasn't really discretionary money. The baby boomers have no excuse because baby boomers have discretionary money. And I think it was really critical that I introduced, I mean, I was letting my seven-year-old pick a car out on the lot for our family, getting the kids involved in money decisions, mm. talking about the word budget in 08. You know, we all know that everyone got hurt in the credit crisis. So did I. I wasn't ashamed to talk about the mistakes that we made as parents. Mm. And parents need to be open and honest and mm. say, hey, these are the things if I would have done it differently, I would have done this. And I always bring it back to money. See, I could have done it this way, but I did it this way. And I think we have to be open, not only about money um, strategies and piggy banks and allowance and saving, but we also need to be upfront because we all as humans have made money mistakes. And if you teach those mistakes to our children, they're not going to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that it probably opens the door to the conversation as they're older to say, Hey, you know, what do you guys think about this? Right. If they're looking to invest or buy another property or, or buy their first house, first car, first, whatever. Right. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you think about piggy banks, savings jars, that sort of thing? I love that. I mean, kids should start getting exposed in their you know, as early as four to seven years old. Um, and mm. they're getting, they're earning allowance. The average person, I just did some research, $9 a week. You know, this is a great exercise. And, and we did this in my family. Okay. You make money, you spend it, you save it and you give it. Oh, yes. Yes. We do. How do you like thing. that? Yeah. Because we yeah. give to our church. So I always talked about giving, giving the money away, not being, you know, not being too tight with the money, but being able to invest it, save it, mm-hmm. reward yourself and spend it, not impulse spending, but spending it with logic mm-hmm. and then giving it. Mm-hmm. And 
getting and having a conversation. I made my kids put the money in the basket at church. I didn't do that. Mm. They had, they touched the money. They released the money. It's psychological. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. We, we did that too with our kids when they were younger and had allowance. So with three little piggy banks, right? Give, spend and save. Yeah. Yeah. And then we did like a check. We did it. We, we went to Ronald McDonald house and we donated oh, that's funds from a, from a lemonade sale that my little one had. And then um, his, his savings too. It was really a nice experience. It was really good. And they got to be the heroes, which I love, you know, that's awesome. And that's all it takes. It's really simple, isn't it? Yeah. It's it, not it, complicated. I think people look into it to be more complicated than it is. It's very simple. Um, like when the credit crisis hit, let me tell you, you know, it was tough times. My husband lost his job. Our incomes were dropping. I said, we're on the budget. And I remember my 11 year old go, mom, what does that mean? I said, we got $40 and we're going to go for dinner tonight. You guys pick. And, and, you know, that was very impressionable. 10, 11, 12 year olds are very impressionable. Hmm. And what was going on during that time was, you know, the financial crisis in America, everyone was being affected one way or another. I chose to share that with my children, that we were on tough times, that we needed to be on a budget, we needed to watch our money. And this is, this is how I introduced money to my children without you know, um, mandating anything specific, Mm -hmm. getting involved in decisions and making decisions, explaining to them mistakes, sharing with them when we needed to budget and how we needed to save. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and your action steps that you did, I think are amazing. Really what you're saying is you're normalizing the conversation. It's not taboo, which it has always been. Um, And, and you're, you're also, in, and in normalizing it for you to be able to say, Hey, look, you guys, we're budgeting right now. We're budgeting in a really, you know, intentional way, but don't be scared. We're not out of money, but we are being really intentional. We're choosing the way we spend our money in a really specific way. Yeah. I think that's great. Perfect. Um, okay. So, um, when do you advise that they start having a bank account? And what do you say about them having little entrepreneurial adventures and, and different things like that? Well, we're at, when I encourage my kids to open their bank account, and we, we spoke about it when they had a job, because they need a bank oh. account. They yeah. have to put money in a bank account and get a credit card, a secured credit card. And my daughter's like, mom, what do I have to give them $1,000 and I get to spend 1000 I said, I said, Claire, because they, the bank wants to test you to see if you're going to pay your thousand back. So they want you to put up the collateral. They want you to put up the money first. And that's how you build credit. Mm. So setting up a credit card collateralized, um, it really helped her understand that you need to spend on credit. Because if you don't have any credit, then you don't get a good credit score, which is I strange to say you must use credit cards, but you must be able to pay them off. And so as soon as the kids got their jobs, the first thing I had a conversation, you need a, you need a bank account to go. Um, so we're going to go together. They met me at the bank because they're not 18 yet. So I had to be the co-signer 
And then, um, of course, when they get their first paycheck, we talk about taxes. What do you mean I don't get to keep all the money? Yeah. So they were, I remember they were very like, what is taxes? What do I got? Why do I have to give money? I said, this is how the roads and emergency firefighters and police get paid. So we, we give our share fare of our income away so that we can have nice roads to drive on. We have people come to the house if we have an emergency and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I made them come and co-sign because, at, at, you know, you have to sign off as the guardian. But when they're 18, then I had the accounts moved into their name and then they had the total control. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Um, so tell me about teaching our kids to recognize currency and specific denominations. That's something you talk about. And, and I'm, I'm curious what that's about. No, I think, you know, when it comes down to is, well, depending, like monopoly money is not real money, but at least having them be able to see denominations or taking out dollars or quarters, pennies, nickels, you know, just trying to introduce currency to them and having them participate in paying for, I mean, a lot of people don't use money today. Everything's on a, on an, um, you know, an ATM card or whatever. But when we were younger, we, we still used money. I mean, now with COVID, lot less people are going to be using money in the future. So it's sort of a disconnect. Yeah. I mean, Not I use my phone or my watch now just to, to tap my purchases. Like that is, which is, I don't think it's good either because having money and using money versus an ATM, I think controls your impulses a little bit. I think oh, now, that I agree. now that we all have access to plastic, it's just easy to swipe. Mm. Well, I mean, my husband and I early on made, you know, made a, a, a rule that, you know, we, we would, in fact, when we first got married and we had our first little house, it was just a little, little hundred thousand square foot house. Yep. And uh, like maybe even less than that. And we had a little accordion envelope thing that we got at Staples and it had like groceries, it had bills. Oh, it that's had awesome. And we just took our cash and we put it in there. And then we had like a little bit for like going out for dinner and, and, you know, that sort of thing. Right. So um, that's how we started. That's <laughs> excellent. Ra. I mean, what you're saying is excellent. It's practical, it's simple, but it makes, makes um, a big difference to see and having your children see that. Well, and, and I'll be honest, I mean, I think there is a gap in what goes on with my husband and I and our finances and what we actually tell our kids. They, they have a bit of a warped sense. So, so you've really inspired me to say, okay, I should probably talk to them about it. But at the same time, and this is not necessarily what you're here to talk about, I have some money trauma from my own childhood. So, yep. you know, can I ask you, you know, do you see that in people? Do you see that as being one of the reasons why they don't want to talk about money? Yeah. Cause I think it's lack of trust. I, I, yeah, I see a couple of things. Um, people, um, especially in the last 10, 20 years as the stock markets have become more volatile and um, people have gotten a little bit more cynical, lack of trust and they're traumatized. And, and, and I, I see a lot of people don't want to get engaged with money today. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'll just take care of it. I'll Google about it. Or mm-hmm. I just won't do anything because mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable about it. So the reluctance of having to deal with money is stronger today than I've ever seen in 35 years. There is so much pushback that people just don't want to reach out to anyone for help. Yeah. Well, I had a a guest on um, Stephanie Sim and she's a financial coach or a budget coach. And she said, yeah, the avoidance is a trauma response. 
And I was like, yep, that's me. That's me for sure. You know, because there's something that was traumatizing about money or something that um, whether you lost it, whether you didn't have enough of it, um, but we have to move through that um, and really get engaged and take those action steps and say, listen, I love watching my favorite programs on Netflix and this, but I'm going to take 15 minutes a day and I am going to start reading or listening to videos and getting myself exposed and dealing with my insecurity, my lack of knowledge, my shame, whatever it is, is moving through versus Mm. around because Mm. the longer you wait, the tougher it is for you to hit your financial goals. And I think you got to just look at it, right? Like you got to just... I feel like it's almost like stepping on the scale. Like you just got to look at oh, it. Oh, that's right? a good point. That's absolutely. The, you got to look at what you have. Say, okay, I got to do something about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's Ugh. psychological. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, it totally is. It totally is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is such a good conversation to have for you and I, and also the you know, for the audience, because I'm sure they feel the same way. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's, there's just no doubt. So in redefining financial literacy, what do you cover in your book that is, um, th- that is helping parents so much? I mean, if it's a bestseller in the New York Times, uh, you know, bestselling book, this, I mean. It, well, I think the reason behind the book is number one, there's a financial literacy crisis in America and bringing awareness out there and saying, it's okay. It's not your fault. It was, our educational system. It's now the digital age that's keeping us from being illiterate and the financial service industry didn't do a good job teaching us. So let's get past that. Then Mm -hmm. let's talk about, um, you know, a lot of books in America are on on micro financial literacy, how much to save budget and invest. I took my book a step further, which I think it's critical. 40% of Americans are going to run out of money before they run out of time. And I saw the writing on the wall 20 years ago, and I wanted to explain in my book why that is happening to an average retiree sitting down, talking to their advisor, thinking that their money's going to run out before they do. And the the reason behind that comes to to this. People invest in a stock or a bond, right? Two asset classes. What I am trying to explain in my book is that people, just like... um, a flip phone versus an iPhone. You sit with a flip phone. My dad, I go tell my dad, dad, come on, it's time to upgrade. I can send you a picture. Oh, I'm happy with the flip phone, Cindy. I don't need the iPhone. So I take a look at the 60-40 model, the stock and bond model, and I write a whole chapter why it's no longer effective in today's world, in this economic political landscape. Now, people are going to read that and go, wait a minute. I've been told stocks and bonds are the only way to go. Mm. It did eight to 10% in the eighties, nineties, but the last 20 years have changed. You did half that return. And I need people to understand what they can do about it. How do you fight something that's no longer effective? Well, you get educated. And my book is sharing a five asset class model. And maybe in the future, crypto will be one of those asset classes Mm -hmm. and venture capital that investors that once depended on this conventional wisdom of stocks and bonds Mm -hmm. and my professional research and the amount of research I did in this book and the model that I built for my clients to this day is that we must consider a new way of investing into this geopolitical landscape. And I talk about that called the realm model. It's a multi-asset class model that institutions have been using for 10, 20, 30 years, beating the stock market with less risk. I want to get that message out. So investors have a solution to their anxiety, 
their frustration of lack of performance in their investment portfolios and lack of income in this economic age and letting people know there's hope, there's mm. strategies and there's solutions. And I put it in this book to help not only the baby boomer who's entering their retirement years and wanna leave a legacy for their loved ones, they don't wanna run out of money, but for the younger generation who wants answers to what they saw their parents go through the last 20 years. So it's a gift of financial literacy. It's my life, it's my passion, it's my research. Mm. It's my purpose at this point in my life to get the information decimated to not the rich people, not the endowments and the institutions, to everyday Americans, because you can invest this way today like the institutions did 30 years ago. And it's making investing great today. And investors need to get engaged. They need to get involved because if they don't, the consequence of not getting engaged and getting involved would be a potential lack of legacy to your loved ones. And that urgency is the urgency I put behind that book. Mm, wow. Okay. And I, and I still have that sentence ringing in my ears that you said your money is going to run out before your time does. Whoa. Yep. Okay. That's 40, Yahoo money did the research. Think about it. If stocks and bonds used to do eight to 10% a year and you're taking out 4%, it's sustainable. But if stocks and bonds, the next 10 years is projected to make 2% and the last 20 years has done four to 5%, how can you be sustained? But the financial service industry isn't coming out saying that. And I am in the field of the financial services. I am sort of going against the current and saying, listen, this, in my opinion, if you look at the research, may no longer sustain you. Why keep doing something that may no longer allow you to live with financial security? Why not try this? Now, there are some advisors that are doing that, but it took me 20 years to learn how to incorporate other asset classes to the stock and bond model. And that is my research and my um, dedication in that book, because there's, you know, being a financial planner, I'm not really allowed to have opinions without research. So in the book, there's 550 pieces of research. And Dr. Georgie is an amazing researcher. He collaborated and backed up all the research I needed him to do. So it's an amazing book for a person who wants to sustain their retirement, leave a legacy, and not live in fear as they're taking out income in their nest egg. Well, yeah, and and I, you know, I think this sort of circles us right back to the beginning where there is mistrust and fear, right? And we just don't even ask for help because we don't even know, can I trust this person? Can I not trust this person? Is my money safe there? Are they good? Are they bad? Should I go with my friend's guy or girl or, you know, like- Facts that don't lie. Facts and research don't lie. So you've got to go with the facts and the research because friends, trends are your friends. And it comes down to this. What is the educational experience of that advisor? Have they been through bad markets? Have they been in the business 30 years? Have they made mistakes mm. as advisors? Do they have a CFP? Do they have credentials? These are questions that people need to, they can't just go, hey, my friend George just hired this gentleman down the road. He's been in the business six months. Well, good luck. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you want to, you can't buy the experience 
an advisor has been in the business over 20, 30 years, because we've been through it all. We've been through the ups and downs. We've learned. Nobody's mm -hmm. given us a recipe book. You learn from experience. You got to learn how markets work. And that takes time. Just because I have a series seven doesn't mean I'm a financial wizard. So mm -hmm. that's what I explain in the book about finding advisors who have the long stay, the experience, who have the credentials, and who are backed up with research, because then you don't have anything to question. Mm -hmm. Trust is built. Trust is built not based on fear, but facts. I always like that. Facts, not mm -hmm. fear. Because yeah. fear will keep you from entering the next stage of growth in your life. Yeah, it keeps you paralyzed. Keeps us paralyzed. Yep. So that's what I bring the urgency behind that book and the passion that I've put into the book in the 35 years I've been in this industry. And it's being a female. I mean, one out of five of us are women in the money business. The, the glass ceiling has not been broken in the financial service industry. And I hope that my tender of 35 years and the books I have coming next year, Feminine Courage, How to Regain Your Financial Destiny for Women, March 1st is my pub date. And then the financial um, literacy crisis, of course, that book's out. And my third book I'm working on now, Why Are We Living Through a Retirement Crisis and How We Can Combat That, yeah. is the information um, I think it's going to be important if you, mm. if you, if you care about your children, you care about your family, you care about your retirement, it's time to get motivated and start learning. No, I could, I couldn't agree more. I have one last question for you. Yes. You said about living, leaving a legacy for your children. Why do you say that? Why is that so important? I mean, sure. It's obvious. We'd love to leave money for our kids, right? Is there yeah. something that you know that I don't, that they will need? Well, I think money, or I look at it this way. Let's say you you're a baby boomer. You just left, let's say Boeing, you're an executive, you got a million dollars in your 401k. Let's say you start taking a withdrawal rate of four to 5%, 40 to 50,000, and you're going to live 30 years. Okay. You want to know 30 years down the road, at least I would, if I'm in my nineties, I retire in my sixties, that there's some money left over for my kids. I mean, there are some people that walk in my office and say, you know what, Cindy, I want to spend it all. That's fine. Everybody has different goals, but I want to leave a legacy for my children. You know why? Because I've worked my whole life. And I want my kids to value my hard work. So that means when they inherit in money, they don't just go blow it. And I continue to remind them, you're going to have a big responsibility someday is to take care of what I've worked my whole life for you for. Mm. And so that legacy, all parents want to leave something, I believe, to their children. They don't want to go die with zero and that the kids have to bury you and pay for your funeral costs. I think all good parents want to have some kind of legacy, a financial legacy to their children to make the next generation better off than their right. generation. Okay. There you go. That that's, that's perfect. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So much sense. Wow. Cindy, thank you for your passion, for your information, for your facts. Sure. Uh, this has been so insightful. And uh, the book that you have is Redefining Financial Literacy. It's a New York Times bestselling book. Wall Street Journal bestseller. Wall Street oh, sorry. A Wall Street Journal bestselling best book. Hopefully my uh, next book, New York Times. That's what I'm hoping. Ah, yes. Well, no, well, hey, that's that's no joke, though. Wall Street Journal. Uh, that's pretty good. impressive. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so where can people find your book? 
Um, you can go right on Amazon, um, Redefining Financial Literacy, Cindy, Redefining Cindy, I'll go to my website, Synergy, as you know, I have a lot of energy. Synergy is spelled <laughs> like Cindy, because I have such a tough last name, okay? C-I-N-E-R-G-Y, SynergyFinancial.com. There's a link on my website, you can go to Amazon. We've been number well, one on Amazon in two categories of financial planning since the book's been released, and we still are. So just pick up the book, and we do. We have it in, in audio for people who don't like to read, like my husband, and we have it <laughs> in hard copy. So whatever's convenient, I highly recommend to start the process. Take five minutes a day, you'll get through the book. It's easy read. It's not boring. There's history. Um, there's politics. You, you, I think people really enjoy understanding how we got here financially and where we go in the future with your money. Yeah, wow, that's great. And I I would bet it's not boring. You're not boring, so there yeah. <laughs> your book's not boring. Oh my goodness. So, um, okay, one last question. Um, yes. Now, you are American, you know I'm Canadian. Um, yeah. And, you know, my question about sort of the world economy and, and globally, um, it, it's, it, is it is it relatable to 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 me to people in other countries absolutely because you have all the same asset classes and i'm proud of canada right now can i share my quick oh yeah yeah go for it canada is innovative they came out with the first etf fund i call it exchange traded fund two months ago on bitcoin and ethereum so they're putting pressure on the united states to add cryptocurrency into main street america i hope so at least you know, they're trying to get these funds approved, but I was very proud to read that Canada is very innovative, the regulators in their thinking that they executed the first exchange traded fund before the United States. So go get educated. I'm excited about Bitcoin and Ethereum. I can't give you any advice, but I'm going to tell you one thing that asset class Bitcoin the last 10 years have done over 100% per year and believe it's an asset class of the future. Go yeah. learn about it. Hire somebody who knows about it. I am writing about it in my third book. Um, I'll have a few chapters on cryptocurrency in that book. So oh, I'm proud I, of I Canada. Go for it, uh, Canada. Yay, Canada, yay. Yeah. yeah, I'm a very proud Canadian. Uh, I can but see this, that. this is this is phenomenal information. You've totally lit a spark under me. So I am uh, beyond excited to read your book and to- See, you get excited with money. You're excited, Robin. I kind of am. Oh my goodness. Okay. Thank you so much, Cindy, for being here. I hope everybody else is inspired too, because like you just made money fun and uh, not boring and you're a woman and come on, like, let's like, we got to love that. Right. And a mom. So you've got it all. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you from our children who will benefit from this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show, Rob. And I hope to see you next year when I release Feminine Courage. Oh, yes, please. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.